Hello, Cougar Nation, and welcome to Shut Up and Jimmer. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. I'm here, as always, joined by my co-host, Robbie McCombs. Robbie, how are you today? Steve, I'm doing pretty well. You know, we're week into basketball season. Football's coming off the win. I know you're not a huge football guy, but, you know, I'm always a football guy, too. So, you know, life's going good. We're into basketball season, football season, the magical year, time of the year where they both overlap. So, you know, life's good. And we're here on Shut Up and Jimmer, episode two. We made it. We have officially made it as a podcast, Robbie. How do you feel about that? You know, we're, we're official. And, you know, we're going to have an intern soon, Phil Hyatt. So, I mean, we're, we're getting official, Steve. We're, we're, we're making our way up there. Shouts to our guy, Phil Hyatt. I'm sure yes. he will greatly increase the quality of this uh, of this endeavor. Um, yes. Before And since we are legit, I wanted to just give a shout. We are now, for our dear listeners out there, we are now on basically every podcast platform that you could possibly think of. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. Anything else you can think of. We're on it now. So I know most people probably listen to their podcasts on Apple Podcasts. If you do, go on there, subscribe to us or on whatever platform you want to use. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. That way you'll get the newest episodes as soon as they become available straight to your phone. And then also, if you can, go on there, give us a rating. Five stars is great. We would love five stars. And on a review, that really helps us out. So subscribe, rate, review on whatever uh, platform you use uh, whatever it is. Um, so let's just dive in, and in the interest of keeping this quick, let's dive into the week. And Robbie, I think that, you know, when we had initially planned this episode, I think we thought that there would be a lot, just some discussion about some games that were played this week. It was the first week, first games, but that kind of changed on Friday when the NCAA handed down some sanctions on the BYU basketball program. And just to I'm sure everyone's probably heard a lot of about it, but just to review, this is in connection with Nick Emery's uh, receiving improper benefits from a booster. And in terms of what the, uh, we already know that Nick is being suspended for nine games, like we talked about last week, but in terms of the the impact on the program and the sanctions handed down to BYU itself, just to review for folks, we're talking about two years of probation, uh, essentially this year and next, uh, a vacation of records, which is I think the big sticking point here, which we'll talk about um, for any game in which Nick Emery participated um, so while he was ineligible. So essentially that's 47 wins. Um, a reduction of one men's basketball scholarship uh, for at one year. And then uh, essentially some reductions in the number of official visits uh, BYU can have. And then, uh, you know, essentially disassociating the boosters and a small fine, which isn't really as important. But the big things, the probation, uh, vacating the records, and then reducing scholarships and reducing um, reducing on-campus visits. So all that being said, and that was a long wind-up, Robbie, is this a fair punishment? Uh, is this a fair punishment for the Cougars based on the crime? Yeah, you know, Steve, I, I have a few different thoughts going into this, just I know, kind of on both sides of the spectrum. Um, yeah, I read through the whole report that the NCAA sent out, and it's pretty much a big legal document, but you know, the NCAA does give the reasons for why they punished BYU. And I think, first of all, I mean, it's easy to bang on the NCAA, and people are going to bang on the NCAA. I mean, and rightfully so. They're inconsistent in a lot of their punishments. But, um, I mean, first of all, I think, I mean, BYU does, there has to be some accountability. Um, I think, talking over the years to some of the players that I've known, um, 
that Dave Rose obviously has had a lot of wins, but one critique I have of Dave Rose is that he's become increasingly distanced from his players over the years. And I honestly don't think Dave Rose had knew anything what was going on, going on with Nick Emery. But at the same time as the coach, you do need to know what's going on in the program and whether it be it's your assistants keeping on or whoever. I mean, if people see that Nick Emery's on multiple vacations in Europe and Disney World, the first thing you got to do is beg. Hey, it's just texting Nick. Hey, Nick, are, your parents are paying for this, right? Like, so I mean, I think there just needs to be some accountability on the program. But when it comes down to it, um, I think this is pretty ridiculous by the NCAA. And going off BYU's reason, the reason why it is ridiculous, if you look at the NCAA saying they're suspending, they're punishing BYU because of the money that was given to B- given to Nick Emery during the time while he was playing. But out of the twelve thousand dollars that was given to Nick Emery. 90% of that money was given to Nick Emery after he played. So the, during those two years Nick Emery played, he only got, uh, he had got a couple rounds of golf and he got some free meals. So $2,000 worth of money. And, be, and the NCAA is vacating 47 wins, the top 10 most that they've ever done of vacation of wins because of $2,000. I mean, that just seems absolutely ridiculous. And that's where BYU is coming from. They're like, hey, this it, it was just a very small amount of money and you're vacating 47 wins which is somewhat which is one of the biggest vacation of wins of all time and you see schools like north carolina louisville get nothing with the ncaa so it's just very inconsistent it's just laughable by laughable by the ncaa that they just think they have this power trip that they're suspending byu so i mean BYU doesn't need to be held accountable, but at the same time, it's ridiculous by the NCAA, the penalties they're handing down. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's no question that BYU needs to be punished here, right? There was wrongdoing yeah. that was done. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I think it's the question of, you know, whether it's a suitable punishment. And I think, you know, docking a scholarship and docking um, official official visits, I think that's all fine. I think the probation is fine. I think the where people really are a little perturbed is that is vacating 47 wins. Essentially, and you mentioned Louisville, essentially this is the same punishment that Louisville got for Nick, for Rick Pitino buying prostitutes and booze for teenagers yeah. <laughs> for years and years and years, except their, their thing just happened over four years. BYU's happened over two years. So they vacated four, vacated four years of wins for Louisville, only two for BYU, but still it's incredibly, uh, it seems like an incredible overreach, uh, in my yeah. opinion. And it's particularly, un- feels particularly unjust, I think to folks, because, you know, Dave Rose is, you know, nearing the end of his career, probably in the next, you know, several years, he did just get an extension, which we should mention. Um, but, you know, he's he doesn't have that many years left to coach and he is closing in on Stan Watts all time record at BYU. If this were to go through and the university is appealing um, officially, those wins would be stripped and he'd essentially have, you know, two years of professional accomplishments taken out from under him. Um, so I think that's just a little ridiculous and it's a little hard to. Um, it's just a little hard to see how other schools, particularly big name schools like North Carolina and Louisville, like you mentioned, have been treated um, and then see BYU just get whacked for something that seems so, mm-hmm. so small by comparison. There's yeah. no rampant academic fraud. The, the, yeah. the, the NCAA itself didn't said they didn't think there was any problem with like lack of institutional control or anything like that. Um, but just to just kill BYU on this is, is a little ridiculous. Yeah. In my opinion. And, and what's especially frustrating is that BYU is self-reported 
and they self-imposed the sanctions. So BYU went to the NCAA. They were very transparent as soon as the penalty came to BYU, as soon as the violation came to BYU's attention and BYU self-imposed. They paid the fine to the NCAA. They self-imposed a scholarship reduction. They self-imposed recruiting restrictions. But still, I think that in itself would have been enough of a punishment. But the NCAA decided to vacate 47 wins, which we mentioned a couple times already. One of the biggest vacation of wins in NCAA history for just minor infractions. And you compare what's going on in the college basketball landscape. So that's what's just really frustrating me. BYU was transparent. BYU self-imposed. But the NCAA still decided to make an example of BYU. Yeah, and I think that's what Jay, that's what Jay Billis said was essentially the lesson here. If you're taking a lesson from any of this, is don't self-report, don't cooperate with the NCAA, don't do the right thing. Essentially, which is what BYU tried to do. Um, this is just it's, to me sending totally the wrong message. But you know, like we said, the university is appealing. Let's just assume for a second that that appeal gets knocked down, um, which it very well may. Um, how will this? In your opinion, Robbie, how will this these the these sanctions? How do they impact BYU moving forward? Yeah, really, the only tangible one is the scholarship reduction. Because uh, reading through the report, the the one the, the recruiting restrictions, it's really not that that big of a deal. I think BYU is restricted to about seven official visits a year, which BYU hasn't gone over the past couple of years anyway. So that's not going to be too big of a ding on BYU, but the scholarship reduction, it's either going to be this year or it's going to be next year. Um, the NCAA said the soonest possible year. So we don't know necessarily whether BYU is doing it this year or next year. They could have, Nick Emery could be a walk-on right now and they could just be doing it this year, but we're not positive. So the scholarship reduction, it's the really big tangible one. So whether the, the wins get vacated or they don't get vacated. That's going to be the biggest thing. Um, just the, the reduction of the scholarship, especially if it's next year, um, there's going to be a lot of juggling of scholarships to be going around with missionaries coming home. Yeah. BYU is already supposed to be two scholarships over for next year. So they're going to have to find already two scholarships need to, you know, go away in some, in some way, shape or form uh, before next year. And if this were to be, happening next year that would that would jump up to three which would be a real a real pickle for dave rose and his staff um Mm -hmm. and yeah i think that i agree with you that the the official visits is not really a huge deal when you mostly recruit utah county you can have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, unofficial visits well the state of utah generally it's easier to have unofficial visits just having guys in drive down with their families etc etc and not need to do the whole official um visit thing and i guess you know speaking of Recruiting in, in Utah County, we should mention that uh, that Isaac Johnson, the, the power forward from American Fork, top uh, top fifty guy, I think pretty much consensus top fifty guy in all the recruiting ratings. He uh, he comes from a BYU family. He'd been uh, he'd been on BYU's radar for a while and a big uh, a big target. Uh, for BYU in recruiting, he he committed this week uh, to Oregon, not to BYU. He committed to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, folks that I've talked to or close to him said that he essentially told BYU staff in in August that uh, they were he, he kind of wasn't coming uh, coming to BYU, uh, and the the final two were really uh, Utah and Oregon, and ended up taking Oregon um, mm-hmm. over Utah. But uh, any any reaction to to that? I know that was a that was a guy we all wanted to see in BYU yeah. blue, but. Seems like mm-hmm. 
probably won't be happening now. Yeah, I mean, I think we've known for a couple months that it's very unlikely. Like you said, it's either going to be Oregon, Gonzaga, or Utah. The biggest red flag for me, the thing that really hurts, if you look at BYU's recruiting pipeline, there's not that one guy that you say, okay, that guy's going to be a star. Because I mean, for the past couple of years, we've had guys like TJ in there. I mean, the Lone Peak 3, we knew Yoli Childs is going to be good. So there's always that guy you can look to the future, okay, that guy's going to be the face of a team, an all-conference caliber player. So what's concerning to me right now at the moment, I think BYU has guys in the pipeline that have potential. But there's not that one guy to say, hey, that guy's a program, all conference caliber player, book it. So, and Isaac Johnson, like, no doubt in my mind, he would be that guy. Um, he's, I think he's a Kyle Wolzer type player, maybe not an NBA player, but just super crafty, lots of skill. So, and that's the biggest takeaway to me. There's BYU just doesn't have that guy in the pipeline saying, hey, that's our guy. And I don't know, that's, that's, that's concerning to me from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah, it's a it's a real it's a it's a tough loss because as you know, I've always said that as BYU you have a, you have a limited number, you have a smaller pool, right? You have a smaller pool of recruits that you can realistically go out there and go out mm-hmm. there and get who want to come to BYU and live the BYU lifestyle. And if you want to stay and remain good as a basketball program at BYU, you really have to get the the good, the really good Mormon kids because there's not that many of them. And Isaac Johnson certainly is one of those. And to not get him. Uh, is tough. That's 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 a tough look for the for the Cougars. But you know, you never know what happens with these things. He is a mission first kid. He's going to go yeah. on a mission right out of high school after he graduates this year. Things could look a lot different um, in in and, two years than they look now. And you know, Oregon. You know, I'd be shocked if they don't have NCAA sanctions coming their way. So I mean. You know, you never know what could happen after mission. I mean, I still I'd obviously be surprised if he came to BYU, but I mean, you never know. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, we've seen this type of story before with with Jesse Wade just recently. Jesse went to Gonzaga uh, at a high school after at, at a high school after his mission. Committed to Gonzaga, went to Gonzaga actually for a year after his mission. Ended up not liking it and ended up transferring to to BYU. Um, so that's not to say it will happen with Isaac Johnson. I don't think that you should you know bet your bet your mortgage on it or anything <laughs> no. like that but uh you never know and but regardless of where he ends up playing and where he suits up uh in a couple years you know best of best of luck to isaac johnson we obviously hope for his uh for his success um so that being said robbie there was actually basketball this week that, yeah. um that was played yeah. yeah. Uh, we play, there were two games. The first game, uh, I guess let's dive into the first game, uh, was on Tuesday night, election night, which, you know, as somebody who works in politics was a real tough one for me. I was having to s- double screen the election results and, and the basketball game. Um, but Nevada, one of the best teams in the country, uh, I think ranked number seven uh, coming into the game um, in Reno, in their house. Everyone was excited. I thought the crowd was really great. Um, and BYU obviously came away with a loss 86 to 70 um let's just talk and talking about the games let's just do this what was good what or who was was good what did you like out of that game yeah first i like the resiliency byu showed i mean starting off nevada right away nine zip you're like oh great byu is gonna get run out of the gym by 30 points here but uh luckily i mean we could talk about the refs a little later uh, Co- uh caleb martin first team preseason all-american i think he got two fouls in the first four minutes of the game so i mean that helped byu and then his twin brother uh, cody martin also was on the bench for about 10 minutes so but i mean 
regardless of that, I mean, BYU fought back. They tied the game at half against a really talented, really deep, really long Nevada team. And I think that's where BYU really struggled at the beginning. Just Nevada, every starter out there, six, seven. But going, what I really liked, like I said, I liked the resiliency. Um, Sheer Harden had a great game. Um, he led BYU with 17 points, um, especially in the second half with Yuli Childs and foul trouble picking up two quick fouls in the second half. It was at four fouls in a minute into the second half, you know, Jashir really took the team on his back and he really kept BYU in the game. And um, Yoel, despite, you know, struggling, um, still did a good job against Nevada's long front lines, finished with 16 and 12. And, you know, Steve, um, I'm sure you'll probably hit on this a little bit too. I liked the freshman in the game. Um, I, Connor Harding, he came and played some big minutes and I honestly didn't expect him to play this this valuable of minutes right away, but he didn't score a ton of points, but you could just see he, he looks comfortable, Steve, right off his mission. You know, he's a good ball handler. He could rebound, which BYU needs an extra rebound. We've seen that rebounding has struggled. So I really like what Connor Harding brought. He's just really poised, really mature from his age. And then Gavin Baxter, you know, just that dude is the long guy who could defend, he could rebound. So those are a few things. Obviously, you know, you, the loss stinks, but I mean, all things considered, I, I mean, there was definitely some positives to take away. I mean, what else, did you see from there, Steve, from that game against Nevada? Yeah, I thought that was, I thought there was a lot to take away. And, you know, just being on Twitter and kind of seeing folks' reaction after the game, there was more negativity than I thought probably was warranted. I felt yeah. like there was a lot of positives. Nevada is very, very good, right? And they're very, they're, the ex- they're exactly the type of team that BYU struggles with, right? They're mm-hmm. long, they're athletic, they're quick. I mean, and essentially what they did, especially when BYU was really struggling those first, you know, four minutes or whatever, when BYU didn't score a point before the first TV timeout, they were doing what is essentially the blueprint for beating BYU, which is extend the defense, get really physical, get up in their face, get up in their grill. And Mm -hmm. BYU just looked scared and they didn't know what to do. Um, But like you said, they really they really weathered that storm well and kind of figured it out a bit um, and hung tough for a long time with a really good team. And yeah, like it essentially happened like we thought it would happen, like we predicted on last week's episode mm-hmm. that, you know, they hung tough. And then the last like 10 minutes, the wheels kind of came off and they ended up losing by 15, 16. Um, but they hung tough for a long time. And I think there's a lot to take from that. They found a way to overcome the adversity at the beginning and really play well against a really good opponent. Um, and you mentioned Jashir doing really well. And, and Yoli, that guy has to learn how to not foul. I mean, in those situations, he took yeah. some really stupid fouls. But when he was on the floor, he was really good. The freshmen weren't scared, which I thought was very surprising. Yeah. Right? They, Generally, they in your... Yeah, and BYU generally looked scared those first four minutes. But once the freshmen came in and they went to the bench, Gavin, Connor, even Colby Lee, they all looked ready for the moment, um, which I thought was, you know, just from an emotional standpoint, way ahead of where um, I thought they were. And I actually thought the defense looked pretty good. You know, the big question we talked about last week was, what does this team look like? post Heath Schroyer is the defense is the defense still good and I thought they did a really good job I mean yeah they ultimately ended up giving up 86 points uh, especially in those last 10 minutes Nevada got really hot but for a long time they really kept Nevada's offense in check and I think a lot of that was they went to the zone and the zone looked really good and BYU probably mm-hmm. should be a team that plays more zone than it does I know everyone wants them to play man to man because there's like a masculine pride thing but <laughs> you play zone when you have less athleticism than the other team 
And BYU often has less athleticism than the other team, and it can be really effective. And they dared Nevada to shoot, and Nevada couldn't make anything, and that kept them in the game for a long time. So I thought that was really, really promising, too. There was a lot to take away. Yeah, I like the coaching adjustments. Like you said, 35 minutes, BYU was in zone. I mean, Nevada was hitting many threes, and really, even at the playing field, just it really kind of put a lid on Nevada's athleticism. In the last five or six minutes, Jazz Johnson, the Portland transfer, you know, hit about three or four corner threes. But yeah, I liked the adjustment change the zone. Um, so, I mean, there was a lot of good things. And as far on the other side, you know, um, things that, you know, negatives to take away, I guess, if you want to say overall in the game, I, even though it was a loss, I felt good coming out of the game. But I mean, I think the one big thing guys, people really being on social media was TJ. And obviously, you know, we'll talk to TJ. We could acknowledge he didn't have a great game, but um, I think there's a caveat. And anyway, he was going against Cody Martin, who's a six, seven point guard. He's the defending Mountain West Conference defensive player of the year. He, he's arguably the best perimeter defender in the nation. He's He tested the NBA draft waters. So he's a future NBA guy. So, I mean, TJ, he's not going to see another defender like that again the rest of the year. And obviously, TJ is a little bit up and down, but I think it goes with the caveat saying he's not going to play a defender like Cody Martin again the rest of the year. Um, I don't know. Did you kind of see it the same way with TJ, Steve? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't good, right? I mean, he had five points, five assists, five turnovers. He was two for nine from the floor. He just Mm -hmm. never really found that. uh, He never really found that rhythm. But again, the caveat that you mentioned, Cody Martin is legit, right? And when Cody Martin is extending the pressure and like getting up in your face and he's quick enough to like stay in front of you wherever you go and be physical and long enough and strong enough to be physical with you wherever you go, that's a real problem for someone like TJ who's pretty slight of build. Um, And so he... Cody Martin just took him completely out of the game. I think you saw on Friday in the UVU game what happens when Cody Martin isn't around. TJ can actually get going and get in a rhythm, um, and he's very mm-hmm. effective. And so I think folks barbecued him on social media um, pretty unfairly uh, yeah. after the Nevada game. I think that there's you know a lot better performances to come from TJ. Um, the other thing that I think you know, in the terms of what was not good or what was bad. Uh, obviously, we talked about the refs, just so many fouls, just but you know, sides, we can complain yeah. about the refs all the time. <laughs> yeah, so many fouls both ways. And this is, you know, we should expect this. This happens every year at the beginning of college basketball, yep. uh, college basketball season. The refs have like their points of emphasis and they call everything super tight and then it just gets less and less tight as we go along. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the last thing I would say is is the three-point shooting is is very bad. And it was very bad again on Friday. We can talk about it there too against UVU. Um, and it's not that BYU is not getting good looks. I mean, they, they ended up six for 31 against Nevada, which is, if you're doing the math, poor. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's not that they weren't getting good looks. They got open looks. They just couldn't make anything. And so I don't no. know what the answer is. I, I think I... I saw a conversation that happened between a couple of folks on Twitter, one of whom was uh, was Tim Davis, who's the AAU coach and runs the Utah Prospects program that a lot of these guys uh, played for in high school, Yoli Childs, Connor Harding, Gavin Baxter. Um, and he said, folks were talking about why, you know, why, why the shots weren't going down. And he only said, you know, shooters make shots. And I think that's right. At the end of the day, the players mm-hmm. have to make the shots. Yep. And I, I don't know who's going to make the shots, but they just haven't been falling so far. Yeah, I mean, one thing I finally, Zach Silius, I mean, he didn't, make a ton of threes, but I mean, he, I think he's the one guy so far for the first two games. He's actually, it's a good sign to see uh, T- Zach Selye shooting well. And we'll talk about a little bit that the UVU game, he kind of had that dagger three at the end. He made a couple of threes too in the Nevada game. So, I mean, that is one encouraging sign, even though the team largely as a whole shooting not, is poorly from behind the arc. It was nice to see Zach Selye get some shots within the flow of the offense. And it, BYU would definitely obviously need him this year. Cause if he's not making shots, I mean, 
what is Zach Slice going to provide? But if he is making those threes as a six seven guy with a little bit of length, uh, definitely a big asset that Bealy will need moving forward. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly good when Zach shoots well. Um, but this is also, you know, this just generally BYU is shooting a lot of threes. They probably should shoot a lot of threes based on how they're kind of built personnel wise. It'll be something mm-hmm. to monitor going forward to see if this improves. Because if it doesn't improve, it could be could get kind of rough uh, for the Cougars moving forward because continuing to shoot, you know, 20, 25% from three, not a recipe for success when you're taking, you know, 25 to 30 a game. Um, Just before we move on to UVU and move off Nevada, I think we've both felt good about, um, about this game. What do you, anything, what do you kind of take away from this game moving forward? I know. Yeah. I mentioned it before and you hit on it. Like obviously, I'm not a fan of moral victories. I don't think either one of us are, but I mean, I felt pretty good coming out of that game. You know, I think, like you said, we both kind of envisioned the game going that way. BYU hangs tough and ultimately falls in the end. But we saw some good things from BYU. We saw some good defense from them. We saw that they could adjust, play, they go to a zone defense to succeed in that. We showed they could compete when their best player, Yuli Childs, is on off the floor. And when TJ Haas is having a pretty bad game, BYU still competed it, and those are some positives we could take away. So, I mean, BYU lost, obviously, but they made Gonzaga is going to be the only other team that comes remotely close to the, the talent BYU is going to see the rest of the year that Nevada has. So, I mean, it's a loss. BYU lost by 16. They didn't cover the spread even. But overall, I feel I, I feel pretty good coming out of the Nevada game. Agreed. I think that it shows that BYU... You know when they when they're really locked in, they can hang with some of the best teams in the country, and they're going to have a lot of opportunities to do that over the next couple of months, particularly in non-conference. And then when they get into conference with Gonzaga, which may be the best team in the country by the end of the year, um, they're going to have a lot of opportunities to play some really good teams this year. And this shows they should they should take confidence from this that they can hang with them. They just fix a few mistakes. They could they could get a win. They could have gotten a win. You know, in in Nevada, that wouldn't have been out of the realm of possibility. They were leading at one point with about ten minutes left to go. Um, so lots, I think. I think good things to take away. You don't want to lose, but if you're going to lose, that that was an okay way to do it in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forwarding to Friday. UVU was in the house first, the home opener, um, the crosstown rivals of Utah Valley in the Marriott Center. BYU kind of essentially just messed around for most of the game and mm-hmm. didn't really take it seriously and played pretty poorly um, until kind of really closing strong um, and coming away with a 10 point victory, 75 to 65. I think. It wasn't a particularly inspiring, uh, inspiring performance, but in terms of, and in, in basically in any fashion, uh, but in terms of what might have been good, um, which again, I don't think was a whole lot, uh, what did you take away on the positive side of the ledger from that game, Robbie? Yeah, kind of the same thing. BYU came out pretty flat. Um, obviously, didn't <laughs> rebounding was definitely obviously something we'll talk about in the what didn't go well section. But, you know, definitely was nice to see TJ get going a little bit there. Led BYU 23 points, found a stroke a little bit. You know, like we mentioned, he wasn't going against any defenders nearly the caliber of a Cody Martin out there. So it was nice to see TJ, you know, take advantage of, of that matchup, take control of the offense. You know, when the time was time was and BYU really needed baskets at the end. You know, TJ really came up big. And kind of going off the, the first segment from the Nevada game, in the freshman, you know, Gavin Baxter and Connor Harding, you know, they're, they're still playing well. And I think Luke Worthington, he's, he probably will be a starter, I think, for the majority of the year. Just, you know, he's a captain. He's, you know, 
he's he's a leader. But Gavin Baxter, he's going to take a lot of those minutes from Luke Worthington. So that that was just that was just some things I noticed. Um, TJ is great to see him. Great to see the freshman doing well. Um, what are some positive things you saw, Steve? I think that's right. I think that uh, you know the freshmen, especially Baxter and Harding, they just they make good things happen. And when they're on the floor, they get to balls, things bounce the right way, they hustle, and just good things happen when they're on the floor. And I'd say that, you know, probably the best or most effective five guys we've had so far have been obviously TJ and, and Yoli, and then probably Jashir, and then those two freshmen, Baxter and Baxter and Harding. I think those five guys, when they've been on the floor, I haven't run the numbers on it. Maybe Keith Schertz from our uh, Vanquish the Foe team could, could tell us, you know, whether the numbers support this. But from the eye test, it seems like that's BYU's best five. Um, kind of on both both sides of the floor. Um, so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how how Dave Rose moves his lineups. Maybe not the starting lineup, but in terms of how he apportions minutes uh, moving forward. Because I think those guys, Baxter and Harding especially, um, and then Colby Lee to a lesser extent, they are finding their places. And it seems clear to me that they definitely have a place in the rotation. Um, beyond that, I think the half-course defense was actually pretty good. They held UVU to 65 points. And again, this is a team that likes to get up and down, that likes to score. UVU did miss a ton of shots. BYU missed a ton of shots in this in this game, too. It was a really ugly game, kind of from start to finish. But I thought, you know, except for a few stretches where you kind of just shake your head and, and wonder what the heck's going on on the defensive end, there was a few a few stretches like that but for the most part i think the half court defense in both these games has looked pretty good um so that's something that's at least promising out of this there wasn't there wasn't a lot um other than really you know tj and yoli come into the come into the rescue down the stretch to put the thing away and make sure we didn't lose to uvu on our home court again but uh that was all it kind of got in terms of what was good. It yeah. wasn't. It won. wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, it was great, yeah, it was win, great that they won. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, as far as I, mean, I think we could go talk a lot more about what BYU needs to fix. I mean, UVU they're a solid team, but I mean, I think they're picked to finish third or fourth in the preseason whack this year. They're going to regress from last year, and I, mean, I don't know if you saw the result earlier from tonight, or I guess it will be yesterday. Of the, this podcast just published, uh, but St. Mary just whacked UVU by thirty points. They're up by twenty. At half so i mean kind of off topic but I mean, st mary's the same Mary's, and they just whacked you but um regardless of that i mean what things that didn't go well i mean rebounding i mean this kind of is especially glaring this game offensive rebounds um man BYU just couldn't control the glass and if uvu if they would have finished some of those putbacks we could be potentially talking about a different result but i mean i don't what do you why do you think BYU is struggling to rebound so much i mean we know how good ule is at rebounding um Gavin Baxter should be a good rebounder. I like what I see from Connor Harding, but do you think it's an effort thing? Do you think it's a size thing? Why is BYU just getting outridden by it by Utah Valley University? <laughs> I mean, they did have the one. They had the one dude who I think was zero for nine or zero for ten from the field. He's just this yeah. huge brute of a man. But the yeah. dude had like twenty rebounds or something yeah, like he, that. He was he had a Dennis Rodman game. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, he was a handful, man. Um, and so you know, he was I think uniquely skilled at, at hitting yeah. the glass, which I think hurt. I think mm-hmm. generally BYU is undersized this year, right? Like a lot of yeah. times BYU is running out small lineups where Yoli's the biggest guy. I um, mean, Yoli is is you know, more and more being pushed to the perimeter um, just by virtue of, you know, what the, what he heard back from NBA scouts where he needs to develop his game. I think they're really trying to help him out with that, which means he's not under the basket as much to rebound. Mm-hmm. So I think they're trying to figure that out. This is becoming a trend, though. I mean, UVU had 16 defense, offensive rebounds. Um, Nevada had 11 the game before. 
for that. Um, Nevada is obviously, I think, a little bit more of an athletic team. Um, but, you know, I think this could become a problem in the future if this continues because, you know, even though you you got 16 offensive rebounds, they only got 13 second chance points. They didn't finish, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, there is going to be a team down the road that if you give them six, 16 offensive rebounds, they will get more than 13 second chance points. And that is how you lose basketball games, even against not very good teams. Um, Nevada was kind of the same story on those 11 offensive rebounds they had. They only had two second chance points. They weren't able to convert either. So as we get further into the season and teams get more used to each other, and playing better you're going to see more teams if we keep giving them if BYU keeps giving them offensive rebounds they're going to capitalize and it's going to be a lot of points and BYU is going to lose games so they're going to have to figure this one out quick this is something to really watch particularly as we get into this next week where BYU is playing essentially three bye games against very bad teams Um, this is something they need to start cleaning up they need to figure out how as a team they're going to rebound even though they may not have as much height uh, as they have had in past years. Um, another thing I would watch is, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I would just say, I think you made a good point about Yoli Childs. Um, obviously, obviously, he's you know he's trying to make it to the NBA. You got a lot of feedback from NBA scouts about playing more in the perimeter, not on the offensive end, but I think in the defensive end, he's really coaches are going to try to switch him a lot more into guards so he could show his versatility. So I mean, when he's on the perimeter more, I think BYU is still adjusting to that. Hey, how does how do we rebound? How do we rebound as a team with, with Ueli out in the perimeter? So I think BYU is still going to lo- used to that. I think coaches want to feature Ueli to NBA scouts, but at the same time, they might need a real back in a little bit and watch out for BYU first and foremost. So I am, I think BYU get more used to that playing with Ueli, switching on screens, things like that. But um, that is something to watch how BYU, if they'll just keep him down on the block all the time or if they continue to switch him and other guys need to step up and rebound. But going along with that half court, I mean, that half court offense, Steve, I mean, it's kind of been a lot of, a lot of the same under Dave Rose, but that half court offense was atrocious at times. I mean, it was a dumpster fire is what it was. Yeah. I mean, what did you, what did you, what do you think of that? What's your take? <laughs> I mean, I thought that the half-court offense was bad last year under Heath Schroer. I think it was totally mismatched to the personnel they have. They're essentially running a long series of dribble handoffs with a roster of guys who aren't particularly good at dribbling, which seems like a problem. Um, and I don't think it's changed. I don't think we've seen it change a lot yet. And I know that things, it takes time to evolve. You can't just like throw out everything that these guys have learned, especially because you had a lot of carryover. You have a lot of institutional knowledge, um, bringing back eight juniors this year. But man, it does, they do not, it does not look like they know what they're doing. It's just a lot of like handing the ball off and dribbling around. And, you know, I think where they were most successful against UVU is when they put the ball in TJ's hand and he called a set piece and they actually ran a set piece. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they're in just like their motion offense, it doesn't look good. It looks, they don't get good looks out of it. It just, it doesn't look like they're attacking. They're just kind of all working around the perimeter and staring at each other. It's, it's, it's rough. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, what's helped the past, like there's no guy like Tyler Haas who could just run off screens. There's not a guy like Chish Fisher. He could set a little pin to flare screen, get it open for a three. Beauty doesn't have guys skilled, those skill sets, but it would be nice, you know, get the one thing Zach Slice has been showing well those two games that would like him maybe utilize maybe a little more of a Chase Fisher type role, set more screens from getting open for some threes. I think that will help you a little bit. But yeah, like you said, when TJ wasn't in that, just sitting in that set piece, you know, point guard leading the offense, I mean, it was it was pretty bad at times. The BYU is not getting up and down the court. Um, 
yeah, whatever it is, getting, I mean, going along with that, you only, and I think he settled sometimes for threes, but I think sometimes he just needs to kind of just get to his bread and butter, just get some easy points down the block. And then he could, you know, kind of more in the flow of the offense, take some three pointers. Yeah, my challenge for for Yoli is even when he a they don't post him up enough. I mean, when you have a guy mm-hmm. of that caliber and of that with that body is like an Adonis. He's super strong. He's obviously super athletic. The fact that they do not post him up and get him touches on the block more regularly than they do in their half court offense is something of a crime to me. But even when they do. Yoli, I feel like, is settling way too much. He's settling for these fadeaway... He's not going through guys and trying to drop step through guys. He's settling for these little fadeaway jumpers, which Mm. I know he can make. He has made them. I know he can make them. No doubt. But it's a tough shot. And especially as your legs get tired as the game goes on, it gets harder, even harder to make those shots. And it's just... It it feels like he could just... with Against most of the teams that BYU plays, he can just drop step straight through guys. He's big enough. He's strong enough. He's athletic enough. He can finish through through and over guys i don't understand why you know hopefully they can look at film and and kind of make those adjustments but i think that's something i'm going to be watching for as we go forward yeah and like you said i don't think it's been necessarily that he's been forced to do that i think there's been times he could have easily just gone up at the rim i feel like like you said he can make those shots he's fading away but i feel like he has settled a little bit settled for those shots because i definitely feel like there's been many opportunities he could just go at the basket so like you said i think they'll work that out they got some time next week against three um caliber opponents BYU should take care of fairly easily so we'll see going forward what what that's like for y'all if you what what the offense looks like great segue Robbie let's talk about next week three games this is I think the only game the only week of the entire season where there's three games so get ready for some basketball and like you said they're all against not great opponents all opponents BYU should take care of pretty easily so we won't go super deep onto the actual opponents themselves I think this is a good week for BYU to work on some stuff and figure out who they are and make some strides and some improvements some area that we haven't seen them do great do that well in uh, in yet. So anyway, the three games, we got Northwestern State, Oral Roberts, and Alabama A&M. Alabama A&M, according to Ken Palm, was the worst team in Division One last year. <laughs> Northwestern State was also like a bottom, you know, six or seven. Oral Roberts is a little bit better. They're in the 250s. But uh, overall, these are three games that BYU should take care of handily, all at home. Um, what What do we need to see? this week, Robbie, what does BYU need to work on? What do we want to, where do we want to see them make progress in these three, essentially cupcake games? Yeah, there's a few things I want to see before I hand it off to you, Steve. And we've already touched on some of these things before, but what BYU did not do well. Um, so first of all, I think we want to see BYU shoot the ball well. Um, obviously, BYU, especially from behind the arc, BYU just haven't been shooting the ball from three well. So I think this is definitely these three games, I think, especially against some sub, just some lower caliber opponents, just see BYU hit the three, hit the BYU could hit over 40% from threes, two, or even all three of the games. That'd be encouraging, even just for the confidence of the guys to just see, hey, the ball's going through the rim. We could do this. It's just, you know, we got a little bit of funk those first two games. Let's hit some shots. So that's the first thing. I want to see BYU make threes. Um, second, uh, I think I'd kind of like BYU work in some situational things. You know, we've seen in years past though, that one, three, one zone is given BYU. Um, it's been good for BYU when they have the the personnel. And I think BYU does have the personnel with unique guys like ULA Childs and Gavin Baxter to run a, 
zone like that one three one zone that's made to create a lot of turnovers. So if we see BYU you know, maybe work on that one three one zone with Gavin, ba- I think a guy having Gavin Baxter at the top of the zone could create a lot of havoc. That's one thing I would like to see BYU work on some just situational stuff like that for that that they could pull out later in the the WCC season. So those are two things, three point shooting, and then just some situational type things like a one, three, one zone, things like that, that BYU could practice during these teams. So they could kind of fine tune that and then bring it those games where BYU will really need to use things, things like that. Agree with both of those things, especially the shooting. They have to be able to make shots. The ball has to go, has to start going in the basket. I don't care how they do it, but the, they, they got to shoot better than they have. Otherwise it's going to be a long year. The other things I would add, uh, they got to figure out how to how to how to clean the defensive glass. They cannot mm-hmm. continue to give up offensive rebounds like they have. So I want to see them figure out. I don't care how they do it. If there's one guy who's going to step up and do this, or they're going to figure out a scheme as a team to re- to rebound better defensively, um, they got to figure that out. I, I'm I'm going to be looking for that um, particularly this week. And the other thing is just seeing some improvement in that half court offense. Seeing some type of <sighs> some type of improvement in where it looks like there's some (laughs) flow and some like attack mindedness and, you know, maybe actually getting Yoli the ball in the block and having him make a strong move more than, you know, twice a half. Um, These are, those are, I think the two things that I would look at the the rebounding and then can we resurrect something in the half court? Cause BYU is always great when they run and they are running more this year. And I think that's great. And when they can get stops, get turnovers and run, I think they're really effective. I think they have the personnel to do that, but they're still going to have to be in the half court, a good percentage of the game. And they're going to have to figure out how to score there or else uh, things could get bad. So I think, that gives us a lot of things to watch for. I yeah. think overall, uh, my takeaway from this week is there's a lot here. There's there's stuff to work with. The freshmen are better than we thought. TJ and Yoli, we obviously know what we have. I think there's good depth on this team that wasn't there before. I think this team could be something, but there's a lot of work to do, especially in those, those areas that we've already identified. Did you have any other kind of final takeaway from this week? Yeah, I think you summed it up there. I think... BYU has more depth this year compared to, I think BYU could go eight guys deep, which is something BYU hasn't been able to say for what, three, three plus years. And I think, yeah, especially that was, especially just a few months off their mission, seeing guys like Gavin Baxter and Carter Harding. Carter Harding just looks, he looks very comfortable out there. And we know what Gavin Baxter brings in the athleticism department. So, I mean, it's so early where the first week of November basketball games. So I think that's something very encouraging. Like you said, there's definitely things to work on with consistency, with shooting, with half court offense, with rebound, but like you said there are a lot of tools to work with and you know i'm excited with those tools because those those are the type of tools that are that could get this team over the hump into the ncaa tournament absolutely sir well it will be interesting to get back a week from now and get back together and see kind of what this week against three you know lower quality opponents what it, what it has wrought and whether we've seen any progress i hope and pray that we will um but we will be back next week to do that um this has been you know your second episode of shut up and jimmer don't forget to follow us on twitter if you want to you want to tell us that we're idiots feel free to to get at us at, at vanquish the foe or you can get at me and Robbie personally, him at R- at RT McCombs, uh, me at Post Jimmer. Um, and then also, please remember, we are on Apple Podcasts. We are on every podcasting platform. What on what, whichever one you prefer, please subscribe, please rate, please review. That helps us out tremendously. Um, and other than that, 
I think that's about it until next week where we'll be back. We'll talk about these uh, these three games we got coming up and we'll look ahead to the next week, which is where we start to get uh, get into those really uh, more higher quality opponents. Not so much Rice, but Houston the next week, which Houston had a, had a very good season last year. Um, it should be a tough game. And maybe, you know, maybe we'll even talk a little bit of recruiting. Uh, but that's for next week. Enjoy the games this week. Uh, enjoy watching BYU basketball and football in this wonderful time of year, like Robbie mentioned. And we'll see you on the other side. Go Cougars.